Dave. No, you're the wrong one. <laughs> I love it when that happens. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, JG, John, at least you're not naked. That's the main yeah. thing. <laughs> He's going to be fucking his nose. Harry's holding. We'll be with you in 10 minutes, JG. He could have been like oh, that. Dave, honestly, Dave, I, I said to myself, right, I've I've got a new wire for my microphone. Hopefully, no crackling. I've sorted that. I've got this is gonna be this is gonna be sharp straight from the beginning. Oh, wouldn't happen on Jonathan Ross, would it? Did really well. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> anyway, you might have seen JG selling some shares and buying some shares because he's a budding businessman as well. <laughs> on the phone in the green room, never stops. But yeah, that's who we've got on. He is the, uh, he put this one together. Uh, so you want to be a peeler, a eh, boy? And that quote is, it's a, it's a lovely little book. Um, it is a lovely little book. And, and basically just to introduce, it says, uh, <clears throat> it's a new, unique, unique memoirs based on the diaries and journals of police sergeant William Foyle and his eldest daughter, Ellen, kept in the loft of Ellen's daughter for several decades. They were unearthed by William's great-grandson, John Greenfield, the man we've got today, who transcribed them for publication. So we'll get an idea of what policing was like in the late 19th century. Dave, how are you generally, mate? About when you joined the police, wasn't it, Harry? It was. Even though I look decidedly younger than you, it was... Yeah, you do. Yeah, your your hair colour comes out of a bottle, Harry. I'm convinced of it. Honestly... You can be your age in your early 70s and have hair like that. <laughs> my my wife has always cut my hair, which saves me a whole morning waiting morning. to get cut. But I'm two-toned. She says I've got go faster stripes. I'm, I'm like grey halfway down. So it looks like I've got a yeah, you, toupee on now, I think. Isn't it? Yeah, you're a bit of a, a skunk. Not that I'm vain. But you, I've seen photos of you, Dave, when you were much younger. You, you went, you're a no. bit of a Philip Schofield, weren't you? No. Well, no, I was. Yeah, I, so I was bl- bright blonde, like um, my eldest daughter when I was a kid. Then it sort of went a bit brown, <laughs> a bit more brown. And then I went to Australia, and I, this is what I think happened. I went to Australia, <coughs> and the sun bleached my hair uh, hmm. back to grey. Uh, sorry, back to blonde, and then eventually it just went grey. Then I had kids, and it went grey overnight. Yeah. <laughs> really, really. I was blonde. I was bleach blonde as a kid. Really? Absolutely bleach blonde. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what happened there. But no, yeah. So no, I like I like grey. I'm growing. You know, it's good. bit grey there. But it's a bit too tone at the moment. Grey. I'm going to have to get some grey dye to sort of blend yeah, you, it in you, with the bottom part. I'll go one way or the other, mate. You've yeah. either got that bluey, yeah. br- bluey black hair for the rest of your life that comes out of a bottle. Or and the reason... The reason we don't have John with us on this conversation because he's got no hair, of course. So <laughs> yeah. uh, we, we didn't want him to feel left like, out, you know. Exactly. So, on this one. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's been. How's is it been a busy week for you to, this week, mate? Uh, yeah, you know what? It has lots of. Uh, yeah, yeah. Hello, I am Pauline. I have made it on time this week, um, although I was excluded from the beginning of the show, as you'll see if you replay it. Um, <laughs> Harry's definitely trying to get those hints in. Yeah, it's been really busy. Lots of online dog training. So dog training has moved almost exclusively because of the current situation we're in online, which is fantastic. It means people can get to listen to the theory and you can spend a bit more time explaining stuff. So we've been very busy with some online dog training, Uh, fairly busy at work. I've taken a few days off. 
Uh, I've taken hardly any annual leave this year. And Gemma and I haven't seen each other because we work opposite. So we've had to take annual leave in order to see oh, each other. Wow. It sounds, so, sounds like a perfect relationship to yeah, not no, each, yeah. see each other for so long, surely. Well, someone said, because I mean, my, our in-laws, obviously, they, they all work um, and, and they get to see each other every evening and every weekend. And Gemma and I think that's a bit of a dream. And um, when, when you explain to them that we go for months, sometimes we're just seeing each other for a few minutes, um, yeah. then you realise, oh, maybe that is the secret. <laughs> it is. That's why I'm sure. Um, because I think it was the man we're going to be talking about today, William Foyle. He, he was married for something like 56 years. Um, and uh, so, yeah, they were sort of longevity, weren't they then? Yeah. <clears throat> um, My grandparents were married for, for 50 odd years and... Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I wear my granddad's, obviously they're long dead. I, I, this is my granddad's wedding ring. And I think secretly, I always hope that that might help mm. Gemma and I be t- together for as long as possible. Gemma and I have been together for 20 years this month. 20 years. That's Amateurs. why I have grey hair. Amateurs. 20, <laughs> 20, 25 years, I think. Something for ah, me. Okay. Um, somebody's saying, and I can confirm, you're... you're your lips are out of sync with your sound, but your sound is good and your pitch is good. So I think we'll go for that. You just need to stop talking like a 17 Spawn star or something, you know, like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Yeah, <laughs> Not that Bruce I know what that's like. Old Bruce Lee film. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I think um, I, I have uh, these weeks fly by for me. Um, my dog's getting lots of walks in the woods that is just opposite us. So that's good. That's that my little you're fitness doing more your YouTube videos. You always do a YouTube uh, video when you're going for a walk in the woods. I've sort of, yeah, yeah, I do. That's my quiet contemplation YouTube video. But no, I've got another one. I've got another one coming on Monday, which is all about death. How do I deal with death for so long sort of thing? Because uh, people are, they all do, always do ask, you know, about, oh, how did you dodge PTSD and all that sort of thing? And I sort of explain... You know, real, really honest stuff. Uh, 7.30 on Monday, you can get on my channel, Harry Tangi, and we'll, we can uh, see that. Um, on the other hand, any news with Thin Blue Paw, mate? Uh, so, I mean, Thin Blue Paw is doing incredibly well. Um, we've got some exciting things coming up. I'm, I'm not going to tell you what they are, but they are incredibly exciting. Uh, we're talking to a number of police forces around the country that want to be at the forefront of some of the stuff that we're doing, which is absolutely incredible. And you get to get to hear more and more about it. Again, it's all about the dogs. It's all about preventative stuff and how to try and stave off some of the stuff um, that they can get mm. in old age by changing some of the things when they're in service. So it, it really is about making sure the dogs have the best, best life possible and they flipping deserve it. Um, they so do it's that. To come, but I'm not telling you what it is. It's all a secret. <laughs> Uh, we've been found out, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, are we that transparent? <laughs> we, our cover is blown. Yeah. Um, uh, Joe, we've been waiting for you, for goodness sake. Will you buck up in future? Uh, all right, thanks. All right, good. Um, right, I think... What's this, what's this about? Is Bella? Bella the dog going to get a mention? Who's Bella? Bella? Oh, Bella. So, yeah, so um, we put a post on earlier in the week to talk about... The, so Bella was a heartbreaking story. See, there was a, a dog walker and I think either her partner or a friend walking with her and they could hear or see something on the side of a, um, 
uh, a lake, and they couldn't work out what it was. It wasn't oh, until they got closer that they realised that it was a German Shepherd with a rock tied to her uh, that had been thrown into the lake in the hope that by her owners that she would drown them. And, and die. Oh my goodness! A horrible, horrible thing. And and the the lady was wonderful. She jumped in, and she pulled Bella out, thinking that she was probably dead. And they worked on her, and they got her back, mm. and they rushed her to the vets. And I think she went to the RSPCA in the end, and she's done an, a, a fantastic job. And and Bella's uh, recovered now, and I think she's in a foster home. And her pair, no, sorry, her old owners uh, have had their first appearance of court i think where they pleaded yeah. not guilty. um so we won't go into too much detail but mm. they are due to come back to court in uh, early 2021 um so right. if you follow that story keep following it it really is an example of why we need finn's law part two sadly finn's law part two will not be in place for bella's old owners um if they're found guilty of course they've got to go to court um, yeah. But she's doing well. The good thing is, Bella, beautiful German Shepherd, is doing incredibly well, and she's got a totally different life now to what she had. Yes, success. Yeah. Lovely. Okay. Well, I think we should hold him up no longer because he's gone through two bottles of Chardonnay and uh, halfway yeah. through the bottle of gin at the moment. in that green room. <clears throat> I know. We got to, you know, we keep restocking it, and <laughs> you know. But anyway, it's got to be welcome. Welcome to JG, as I know him, John, John Greenfield, otherwise known as FabSite UK on Twitter. Um, mate, lovely to have you on here. How are you? I am, I am good, and I am deeply humbled that you've got me on here today. It's lovely for three of us to get together because it's been too long. It is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Last, time was, last time was Gloucester, I think, was it? Oh, yeah. That was, that was a couple of years ago. It must have been. God, yeah. It just goes by so quick, doesn't it? You know? Because you've you've had it. You're a busy, busy man. Because you're the you're the opposite of Dave. You look much lo- younger than you are. And <laughs> um, John and uh, you, sorry, yeah, Dave. I, you're, am, I, am I just. <laughs> but you're a you're a very busy businessman. You were you you traded you you basically learnt your trade as a welder, isn't that right? And you're still doing that. And you've got. Uh, yeah, I, I left school. Left school at fifteen. Um, learnt the welding trade. Became a welder. Yeah. Uh, happened yeah. to the age about 23 and then i said to myself i don't want to be employed by somebody i want to work for myself and then i Good just idea. ever since then i've just developed a business and over the last kind of what 25 nearly 30 years now um i developed my welding skills and my business and went into different things um my son is now my business partner as you know um mm. we have a very successful business we have a fabrication company and we have a shipping container sales brokerage. So we buy and sell. See, containers from you, actually, you actually built, designed and built for the fire service, didn't you? Uh, um, I think uh, in yeah. some time a little yeah. while ago. And in all manner, Harry, um, RAF Fortress, yeah. um, we built the fire simulation rig down there. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, anything that can be built from a container, we do. And then when I step outside of that, then I have my other passion, which is obviously my policing side. Now, tell us, you, you did, you're, you're not at the moment, but um, you volunteered for quite a long time, didn't you? And you were, were you CCTV and then you went out with them and, and yeah. your experience as a volunteer got you into well, some places you didn't really expect, didn't they? It, it's, you know, it's quite bizarre. I mean, coming from a policing family, which we'll talk about in a minute, it, it, it kind of it was instilled in me, if that makes sense. So you have this passion to want to help, Yeah. Yeah. And started off very simply, a friend of mine who's a serving police officer, my my best mate. Oh, now. John, 
Just before you do, can you get a little bit... You seem all right for me, but a few people are saying you're quite faint. So if you just get nearer the, the microphone or something, that'd be good. And speak up. Right. That's ideal. Nice one, mate. So anyway, I yeah. started off with simple things, like I, I obviously got my security clearance, and then I joined Hampshire Constabulary, set up a community speed watch and different things like that. And then one of the officers that I got quite friendly with said, look, you know, come out with us one night and we'll we'll teach you how to use the speed camera gun which was a laser yeah. gun and i went out with him i did a 12-hour shift overnight quite bizarre thing. it worked and then went back in and they said to me well you quite enjoyed that didn't you i said well yeah i do but you know he said well look come out come out as an observer so i started going out and then it, it kind of developed and and over a period of probably three four years i did dozens and dozens and dozens of shit so i go out technically as an observer, police observer, but I got more and more and more into that role. And effectively, you know, I was helping out way beyond a normal remit. <laughs> yeah. And eventually somebody said, that, you know, you've had a great run, you know, it is kind of come to an end. And I, that was it. So I kind of parted company with, with Hampshire Constabulary. Don't get me wrong, it's my passion. I love doing it. I have incredible friends. And then uh, uh, somebody that, that we both know, and I, I'm sure she won't mind, um, uh, Superintendent Nicky Leeper, yeah. much with um, Dorset Constabulary. Um, I then went to them, uh, put my papers in, got got my security clearance back again. Which around about the time we were, if you remember, when we were at Gloucester, because I was just going through my security yeah. clearance, joined Dorset Police, and then that was it. I went back in, um, joined Dorset Police. I went in the little sub control room with CCTV, um, and they were quite sort of. From day one, they couldn't quite understand why I was so au fait with police radios, why I was au fait with anything I saw, anything I dealt with. And then one night they said to me, would you like to go out on response? And I went out on response and I did a 12-hour shift again, a, a night shift, six to six. Yeah. Um, we went out and dealt with everything. And, and I won't elaborate on the things we, we dealt with, but we dealt with the very worst. It's quite an eye-opener, isn't it, John? Uh, you know, I, I, this is, again, you know, this leads me into my passion. It, it People don't quite understand what serving police officers have to deal with. Mm. On days when you have to deal with the very worst thing. When something mm. happens in your life and it goes absolutely wrong, the first thing you do is pick up a phone, dial 999, and hope to God somebody turns up. Yeah. And 99.9% of the time, they will. Yeah. And it, you know, the... Eight years that I volunteered and all of the things I did, I had a huge insight. And that gives me the ability to be, have, be able to have an opinion to support our police family. You know, I come from a long, mm. as you know, book, and I, mean, I come from a long line of police family. And my focus has always been and always will be all the time I'm here to sh try and show the positive side of policing and show the support. Yeah. all of our officers need because you know as, as i've said recently you know we I did an interview with the bbc and, and i said to him you know that the thing that angers me most and again this was highlighted in the book if you if you go back to when sergeant william boyle served if somebody was in trouble and a police officer went there and he was at the time he was a constable police constable went there and he got overpowered he blew his whistle and members of the yeah. public were duty-bound to step yeah. in and assist him. Nowadays, yeah. you'll get people stand there with a mobile phone, take pictures and think it's very funny, and 
and not yeah. help you. Now, yeah. it's interesting. It's interesting you say that. Yeah. Because... Dave, what's it? My, the impression of Victorian age for me was very strict and very sort of, um, you know, a children from parents were very sort of right, you know, seen not heard, kind of, and I, I've got some letters from my grand, uh, my grandfather to my father, and they were very mm. sweet and endearing, and this was in the early 20th century, so 19, oh, uh, you know, he was 1909 born, so about nine, when he was about 10 years old. And John's book here has sort of highlighted um, a similar sort of thing. And um, Dave, if you, sorry, John, if you could actually let me know, there was one particular thing here about a pillow that was being, uh, uh, I'll tell you what it is, it's page 40. I've got to read a little bit out of this, if I can just breach copyright and read a bit out. Um, it was... <laughs> so basically, your... <clears throat> Your great grandfather and his wife, who was also who was oh, Ellen. I know what you're going to tell me. Yeah. And they, they were so they live in the house, and it was quite common for the the, the wife to have the keys to the cells. All right, and <laughs> and and if if you were caught, well, tell me the conditions of this, John. What if you were caught, even if you were a youngster? What were the conditions like initially in these cells and things? In in, in you know, according to the diaries, which I transcribed into this book, all of the cells were very basic concrete bed which was literally a concrete bed. and this was the isle of Wight, wasn't it the this isle of Wight. i'm talking about this in this instance what we're referring to is the isle of Wight, and the cells in newport the cells in cows all the same they had the same design that was just a concrete block and you would be given irrespective of whether you were male or female you would be given just a very simple gray blanket and now i know the incident you're referring to go on go on yeah it was where um uh, William's wife was in, in the cell. She went into the prison. The key was off out on duty. She was given the keys because in those days, it was kind of it kind of like a, a, an old-time volunteer, really. It, it, she would assist her husband, if he was a constable, whatever rank it was. It was the wife's you know, duty to help. And she went into this cell, and she saw this young girl in the cell crying. And she felt very sorry for her. And she, she thought, well, you know, it... It's not very nice. It's cold. You know, she's got this little grey blanket. So she went back into the house next door, got a pillow, took it out, took it into the cell to try and make the girl comfortable to calm her down. And she, she, you know, she was sort of mindful that it was sort of, you know, breaking the rules. Because in them days, if the law had been broken, you would be punished. They were, you know, it was very strict. And um, what she actually did, she sort of intended to go in and take the pillow back out before, you know, uh, Sergeant William Ford came back in off his beat, and unfortunately, his senior officer came into the into the uh, station yeah. where the police was and saw the pillow. And then, obviously, because that technically, you know, was a clear violation of the rules, I... um, William and his wife were brought before the inspector, I... and he was fined. He was fined for her sort of kindness. Wow. Yeah, but find how much. It was a whole week's wages. It was, it was. And in them days, you know, a week's wages was, was, you know, what was it, two shillings or something, or three shillings or something. It was, you know, it was yeah. devastating. But it taught a lesson. Yeah, so that, even though, you know, as the book tells you, William was a very hard police constable, but he had a compassionate side. He cared about people. He wanted to do 
things to help people, as our police officers do today. Yeah. And yeah. it, you know, that just that was just one incident um, where his caring, his passion for caring for his fellow man, yeah, kind of bit him. If that, if you know, you want to explain it in any other way. But there's there's loads of instances. I mean, the 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 the, the element of the book. That certain elements of the diaries that I placed in this initial book are very good, but there's loads more that that, that will come. And, I mean, I'll, 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 I'll show. This is another thing that jumped out at me. Um, it's just a book you can pick up and and just read a little bit more. And and if you like, you can read the actual journal, uh, more technical bits for the yeah. more details for dates and things. But the majority of it is very easily summarised. <clears throat> you were talking earlier about. Um, about blowing the whistle and things, he said, and um, oh, it, it just <coughs> he says know, that, that is a huge thing for me. That's one of that, the most, on, yeah. because I've been very privileged in 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 the eight years that I I've offered my services voluntary to two different establishments. I've been out and about. I've seen it. I've been out on my own afterwards. You know, gone out, gone into a supermarket, and somebody will be there. There'll be a fisticuffs going on, and people will just stand there. And then you'll see a PCSO try and separate them, and people will just stand there and watch. Yeah, yeah. And me, I intervene. I have done that, you know. Yeah. Um, but if you go back to the whistle and this this little device here, yeah, which is yeah, the old fashioned yeah. people, these, um, you know, we obviously send these out with the books, and you know, people want them. They're they're lovely because they're a key ring as well. But yeah, good. Wouldn't it be lovely if perfect it, stocking if, filler, if, don't you think, John? Oh, fantastic! Yeah, I mean, we, we, we sold, we're selling quite a few of them, to be honest. But at the end of the day, wouldn't it be lovely if you could blow that whistle and somebody would come and help you? So, these are good. These are good well, stocking fillers too, aren't they, David? Yeah, they are, mate. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I haven't got one. And I've got to make do with this old thing. Ah, <laughs> you need to get online, uh, JD, and have a look. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, I guess the thing for him as well would have been. You know, he couldn't just jump on a radio and ask for assistance. There wasn't uh, a local car driving around. And I know we do struggle for, for resources, but, you know, if, if you do shout for assistance, you know that all your colleagues will drop everything and run. But they didn't have that, which is why they had to rely on that whistle, which is, I guess is why it was instilled <laughs> into everybody. That if you hear that policeman's whistle, you go and do your bit. Right, right. Well, I've got to say on, on, on that, <clears throat> was there's a bit here when his daughter, William Ford's um, daughter, said, well, I know he, he got attacked in a farmer's field with two yobs and they punched and kicked him. Yep. And and basically, uh, he she said, oh, got three years hard labour, Dad. That's a bit tough, wow. isn't it? And right. if I can just quote Ellen... I am a police constable. My job is to uphold the laws of our great country. If in doing this I am injured in the execution of my duty, then I look to the judges to protect me and show we will not accept this action. When those who hurt us are found guilty, we constables know our judges will be tough. And then she adds, wow. she adds, once more, another valuable lesson was learnt by his daughter, she says, because she's writing this. She says, I hope in years to come... And this was when she wrote this, like a million years ago. I hope in years to come, the same views are upheld. It's important the police constables know they are protected in law. Ba-dong! Wow. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something now, Harry. 
I was going to bring this up and read that exact song. Oh, were you? <laughs> I, I, I can't believe that. that she'd that be, uh, John, she'd be turning in her grave, wouldn't she? Oh, God. She'd you know, be turning in her grave. Oh, somebody, yeah. I mean, I, I just... The, the, the beauty of this is, if you compare how days of old were, how... how and, and it's really strange, policing numbers, that... The, at the time William served, there were, uh, I think I mentioned it in there, 60,000 police officers in the whole yeah. of the United Kingdom. Yeah. But the population was about 29 million. Wow. Time. So a, a third of what we have now. So if you look at where we are now, you know, if, yeah. I, if figures are correct, we have about 121,000 serving. Yeah, about that. Yeah. So we have a so it's only double. Part of 70 million. So that kind of exactly. perspective. Yeah. Um, and they also, though, John, they actually said here that they questioned whether the 60,000 was anywhere near enough at the that, time. Right, because if you, you know, if you, if you analyse it, you know, especially when we were talking about the Isle of Wight, the Isle of Wight at the time, you know, these diaries were kept and, and, and William was serving, there was a, a, a fairly substantial amount of people on the island but they had a lot of officers over there, you know, a lot of constables mm. over there. So they all knew that if something went wrong, they could blow a whistle and somebody would respond. And nine times out of 10, it would be a fellow constable because they'd be, you know, sort of all over pounding their beats and, and doing what they do. But this is the difference between nowadays. You know, it, if you have something you have to respond to, there's, it takes time because the numbers are so low, aren't they, if we're honest? You yeah. Know, we, we need more police officers on the street to deal with the, the, the numbers of people that we now have in the country. Um, we do, yeah, and the different crime. This is what people don't understand, isn't it, Dave? Because when you think what the crime is now, what, what we investigate and, and how it's moved from... One of the difficulties with policing, Harry, is, is you know, and John, is, is that deterrent factor. You, and it... When you have lots of police on the street, there's no doubt that there is a deterrent factor. But you can't measure that. You can't measure no, no. the deterrent factor. So it's an easy one to, you know, to, to, to justify getting rid of numbers because you can't yeah. quantify. You can't hold that that deterrent factor. So yeah, yeah. It if it's not recordable, it's not important, which is just so wrong. It's, mm. it's I mean, just so wrong. I mean, if you look at if you look at, you know, I I. I you know, part things outside of this book, but just something that's relevant to this. If you look at a police officer's role today, it's a lot more complex. They're dealing with a lot more issues, aren't they? They're, they're yeah. dealing with not just it's not just a police officer upholding the laws of the land. He goes out and deals with, sadly, mental health issues, medical issues, yeah. and and things that that back in the day when William served would not happen you yeah. know there, there were there were laws the laws were upheld the judges were brutal the the people understood you don't break the law unless you want to be punished yeah and it you know i had I, i've had a you know diversify slightly i've had a terrible case this week where our local church in in the village where my mother lives was vandalized and you know to me I, I, you know, went onto social media and I said, this is just appalling. You know, they, they destroyed a, a, a statue, a, a remembrance statue of a soldier. They kicked the fences down. They broke the benches mm. in the, the uh, entrance chapel. 
And to me, that is a very serious offence. But if they got caught, they will yeah. go to and they will get a community service order, maybe, if you're lucky. They'll get a fine, if you're lucky. Yeah. Um, but they won't get the level of punishment that if something like that happened in 1900, they would go before a magistrate, and the magistrate would order them to be birched. Mm. Now, that is a form of punishment. If you, know, if you look at days of old to where we are now, but once you yeah. had that punishment... And, I, and there's some more notes to that in the diary because my my you know great grandfather was not a great admirer of that form of punishment, but there are some references in the book that said once people have had that punishment, very rarely do they reoffend. Now that's quite a scary. Element. He he comes and and do you know what I've always said if community service worked and I've said look educate me. Anyone who was involved in community service, tell me, did it work? Is it working in the background that we don't know about? What's it doing? And they and everyone's come back saying, no, it's crap, because they, it, it just was built to fail. And the trouble is, I think, in the old days for community service, they chuck um, eight offenders in the back of a pickup truck, drive them down to some... Um, uh, graffiti and but of course now it's health and safety it's training it's the route amount of supervision it makes it it, it just funds it out of it um and and yeah. maybe the stocks as well a bit of humiliation against the um human rights act but boy did that work because it it was like the community was the family who was saying that's not good enough mm. don't do that again mm. you know i mean with that i mean if you know the the, the you know, the element of the diaries that I, you know, transcribed into the book. There's loads more. But the, the thing that, that, that comes across, and, you know, we're going back to, you know, 1900 UK, is the fact that there was very strict discipline. There was, you know... Yeah. The, the, and the police constables that served in those days, they would deal with a lot of cases. So if somebody was offensive, somebody was, you know, abusive, they got caught stealing... Some of the times, a constable would deal with it, and if somebody was drunk and they were, you know, like, as we see now, you see so many of our officers assaulted, if somebody went to assault an officer, he'd retaliate knowing yeah. he was doing his job and he would be backed by the judges. The problem we got now is if an officer is put in a position where he has to defend himself, even though the evidence shows that, that you know, he was defending himself, Somebody will come along and try and argue the case that he overstepped the mark. Mm. In the days mm. of William, they knew that the, the judges, the system that they had, would back the police officers. And that is a huge thing. And I, I, you know, I'm a great one. I'm <coughs> very opinionated on social media, as everybody knows. Yeah. But the thing that... The I'm not. Of all of this, the thing that we really do need to get back in the UK is to get discipline back to teach yeah. the young generation right from wrong, to teach them manners, to respect their police officers. That, you know, it, it's so frustrating when yeah. you pick up the newspaper and you see a story and all the press want to do is just slate the hard-working police officer. But yeah. he was... I think that discipline starts really young, though, doesn't it? It starts before the likes of me or Harry should get hold of you. You know, you should, it should be so instilled in you before you even come Absolutely. into contact Absolutely. with your first police officer that yeah. discipline 
maybe people have it too easy because when you read the book it you you really get the idea of how poor people were and then I mean, people talk about poor people now and of course there's some and this is the other thing i just people would i wish people would educate me why is it that some unemployed uh, can live without food banks and some can't tell me i want to know you know i think people have their own ideas that's another subject but in those days comparable to, to today uh, there were people dying of starvation basically yeah. there were people they were damned hungry and so they had to have discipline in order that the place wasn't just wrecked but what i really would like to know is can you tell us the story of when he caught those guys who were nicking all that beer can you remember that one john uh, um yeah. really strange good detective skills yeah he, he was um i think that was um an actual fact i was over there when I went to the Isle of Wight um, uh, a couple of months back, I went and I followed William's footsteps for three days on the island, which was quite an emotional experience, to be honest. And it was a story of the um, the military. There's a military fort, and close by there was a hotel where they had a, a, a like a barn where they kept the beer barrels. And they couldn't work out where the beer barrels were going, and eventually William sort of staked the place out, and he did a little bit of investigating, and he found a couple of people staggering back from the bottom of these cliffs up to the to the fort where the army was stationed, a little bit worse for wear. And then eventually worked out that what they'd actually done, they'd taken the barrels and they'd taken them down to the, the below the cliffs and buried them in the sand. So whenever they wanted to go and have some beer, they just go for yeah. the walk and they would um come back up, you know, yeah. a bit worse. But the mystery never unfolded how they got the barrels from there down into the, the beach below without because you couldn't yeah. transfer down. So they must have had a way of doing it. Um, but it was it's great, a, but they, uh, I think the punish, punishment was pretty tough then as well, wasn't it, mate? It was something oh, like yeah. hard they labor again. And... It was, yeah, I mean, it was it was quite quite lengthy custodial. I think it was five or six years, was it? Or something yeah, like that. whoa, Blimey. oh, yeah, there's no messing about, and I, yeah. But sentences fitted the crimes in those days. I like I like this poster. They did. They did. I like this poster. Let me just put this. This is what this is the sort of poster that decided uh, your great grandfather to join. So that's it. <laughs> yeah. Wanted intelligent. I thought it said attractive first of all, but it says active young men because uh, Devon and Cornwall would be young and attractive uh, young men. <laughs> so. I was going to elaborate on that, but I won't. You've go been... on, go on, tell us about it. What made him What made him actually go and join the police? Well, basically, it, it came from a broken home. So he left, you know, he left... Um, That's fascinating. He was living yeah. in a while. But he had this kind of passion that he wanted to help people. And, and the story goes that, that you know, he, he came to Winchester. He was living rough. He was literally, generally was living on the street rough. Um, and he walked by the, the police station at the time at Winchester and he saw that sign that you just put up. Mm. And um, he sort of walked away and then came back. And then he decided that he'd go in. And he went in and sort of spoke to the, the sergeant at the time, which was, a, as the book says, a big burly gentleman with a big moustache, um, and explained to him who he was, what he wanted to do. Um, and as the story tells, he sat him down and explained to him what it would involve being a police constable in... 1897 and he went for it and his focus was that even though he'd had a bit a bad time himself he would try and do his best to help people 
and through his whole, you know, his whole police career and his, his, his family life right till the day, sadly, he parted, his whole focus was to help people in need. Mm. Um, you know, there's a there's a, this most incredible story in there, which you've you probably picked up on, where, um, very sad story. Where oh, yeah, so sweet. Little lad was caught stealing potatoes and William followed him and he found him crouching under a big old broken down sort of cart in the middle of the, the sort of wooded area and he could see that he wasn't very well and and he sort of picked him up and he took him home and in them days you know that was quite a, a significant thing to do because obviously in those days it was workhouse kids that were orphaned mm. And he knew that he wasn't well, and he took him to the house, and and sort of they cared for him, and, and eventually um, they managed to calm him down and sort of explain to him, you know, what had happened, why have you taken this? And he said, oh, you know, mummy's not very well. And anyway, cut a long story short, I think the book tells you, William knew instinctively that something was quite bad, and he went back to um, the, the, the sort of store area where... Um, they lived and the potatoes were taken from and they went out back and sadly the mother had, had passed away. Oh, and he, um, he had to go back and there's this, this really emotional bit in the book and it, it tells you how he had to go back and he cradled this little boy in his arms and explained to him that, that his mother had gone to heaven and that, you know, he, he, he sort of was going to sort of look after him and he went to his inspector the following day and asked his inspector to get permission to look after this little boy. And they wow. did two weeks. They got the doctor out. Uh, poor little lad had a, a bad chest and things like that. But it highlighted, for me, highlighted the compassionate side of policing. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you, you've done a huge career. Dave, you're still serving. My humble little bits, I've seen it, yeah? Yeah. So this side, you know, this, this is why I really wanted to push this book out because it shows how policing life is it shows that compassionate side to me <clears throat> yes a police mm. officer can be tough they've got to uphold the laws of the land but there comes a time when that police officer looks at something and looks at something and says, you know what i need really need to help him because at the end of the yeah. day what you are who you are what rank you still are you know, a human being, and you've got to care for your fellow man. And sometimes it, that one intervention in someone's life like that, and I had a few interventions when I was a mm. kid because I had a troubled childhood, you know, sometimes that one intervention can be the difference between someone going down that path or going up that path, you know. So it's incredibly important when we get the opportunity. We don't always get yeah. the opportunity. And when you get the opportunity to try and just take a minute to listen and see if you can help someone because, you know, mm. so... <laughs> You know as well as I do, John, and, and you, Harry, we've all had our strange moments in our life when we could have gone down that path and something made us go that way. And it's only one, we're, we're all one decision away from putting a putting a seven pence carrot sticker on a box of donuts. No, I was always a good boy. Never <laughs> yeah. even a bad thought. Um, it, 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 but, sorry. JG, I want you to tell us, because you sent us this, because you found this recently, right? And uh, could you give us a very quick thing of what you know about this, right? This is a little tapestry thing, right? And it's got uh, E and F on there. Incredible. E and yeah. F. Right, what's now, this about? This this is absolutely unique. This is a one-off. There is not another one in the world. That I can tell you. Um, this, 
I was over with my mother two weeks ago and in amongst the, the, the things that we were sort of, you know, rummaging found, we came across this. Now this is, and it's dated um, 1916. This was made by a soldier who was um, a patient at the Royal Victoria Hospital in Netley during World War One, And in the book, it details how William came away from the island, he went to work, work in the docks at White Star Line, then he decided he wanted to go back into policing, went to the Royal Victoria Hospital as their constable. And this soldier, he befriended. And if you look at the tapestry, the tapestry has actually got um, Ellen, it's got EF. If you look at the, it's got E at the top and F at the bottom. And that was Ellen Foyle. And this soldier gave this to William to thank him for his kindness. And the boat that you see there, oh. it's actually the hospital ship that used to moor up at the jetty, which is at, which is no longer there. It used to bring the soldiers back from the from the battlefield. And that is just, you know, it's probably, you know, 12, 14 inches right. square. Dated 1916. Right, well, that hospital ship... Right? Yeah. I said I might have a little surprise for you here. I was hoping you may not know this. You might say, yeah, no, Harry, I knew that. I just wasn't going to say it. Right, so this photograph, first of all, is in... Uh, I'm not saying it's in here or anything, but this, this is in your book. And this was Queen Victoria, 1901. She, why was she on the island, exactly? What was this about? And, and this your your great-grandfather, William Foyle, guy in this book... He yeah. mentions this, and he was very proud to, to do his parts in this, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I mean, when Queen, sadly, when Queen Victoria passed away, um, she was at Osborne House on the Isle of Wight. She loved and, the Isle of Wight, didn't she? Yeah, she did. Um, and uh, they obviously transported her from the island back to the, to the mainland. Um, and doing so, they had this massive parade through Cowes. Um, and... This was where we had, you know, you had soldiers, you had police constables, you had, you know, members of the public, you had everybody in, in doing the parade. But obviously William was there overseeing sort of, you know, what he had to do at the time. Um, but it was, you know, yeah. quite a, a Right. Well, let me let me just say police officers marched, followed by more guards and big drums and a huge military band. He said Queen Victoria's coffin was on a gun carriage pulled by horses and even more officers and guards followed on foot. The royal yacht, HMY, Her Majesty's yacht, is it? HMY, Victoria and Albert, anchored off Cow's Harbour was a splendid big yacht. Grandeur beyond our dreams. He described the hundreds of people gathering that day. So I did a little bit of research on the Victoria and Albert, HMY, Victoria and Albert. And I came, if you, I'll just remind you of this, what the tapestry looks like. And initially, I was a bit disappointed because, right, so you've got two chimneys in the middle. It was like a steam end, steamship. And you've got yeah. the main bulk of the cabin at the front there, okay? So if I actually look at uh, what I saw as the Victorian Albert, all right, I always thought, well, close, but not quite close enough, right? Because okay, the yeah. bulk is in the middle and the two chimneys. But then I see that this is the Mark II. And the, and the Victoria and Albert Mark III was designed by the head of the Royal Navy, 
built by the Herald of the Boy in about 1890. And in 1901, it was released for use. And that is the same year, right? So then I have a look at the Mark III. And this is the Mark III. Now, I'll just show you quickly, uh, quickly the original tapestry so people can sort of... Right, there's two chimneys in the middle, bulk on the left, and two masts as such, wasn't it? So let's have a look at a photograph of the Mark III. And let's just see if that is anything close. Oh, right. yeah. And Wikipedia says the Mark III had a reign of four sovereigns and was eventually used in the World Wars. And that would have been as a hospital ship, I imagine. So I think there's... Royal Victoria Hospital. That was named after Queen Victoria, Royal Victoria uh, Hospital. Right. Okay. So were you aware of that? Huh? Were you aware of that, JG? Well, the hospital, but not the ship. That, right. That, so that, that, and well, okay, not only that, I suspect, looking at this, at the original photo, so that is definitely the one that definitely looks the same. If you look at this, and, and if you look at... Um, not those. Hang on a minute. Let me just... In the background here, there's some rather yeah, yeah, yeah. tall ships. Yeah. And you can't see them very carefully. Now, there's two very similar. And seeing as one, the brand new one, was bought in 1901 into service, this is 1901. I wonder if they had the old one and the new one, the Mark II and the Mark III there. Oh, but that, I am quite sure, is Harry, what, what is in your tapestry. You historical researcher, Harry. <laughs> What do you do? Detective Harry. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I like going outside and. uh, What an absolute find! I'm going to do some more digging on that. Yeah, just look up Wikipedia on on the Queen Queen Victoria and Albert. Uh, It's all in your book, mate. It's all in there. (laughs) You just didn't see it. How long long did he serve, JD, as a copper? Oh, um, as a peeler. Um, oh, let me think. He took him into his 70s, so... Blimey! Um, it was... He, he had a break, obviously. He worked on the... I did uh, on the island. So he was on the island for about... Let me think. Must have been uh, about 19, 20 years, I think, on the island. And then he came away and he went into Southampton Docks and he, he got Master of Arms um, for White Star Line. And then he decided when, when the war broke out that he wanted to go back into policing. So then he applied again back to Hampshire Constabulary because at the time when he left the island, it was Isle of Wight Constabulary. Mm. And then he went back into policing. But um, he then decided he actually retired um, when he was um, 72. It says that in the yeah. book. And yeah. then, because mm-hmm. World War II had broken out, he then went to become... Um, like a, a fire warden, fire watcher. So he'd go out on patrol because he was an ex-police constable. He would go and walk around the street. And it you know, mentions it in the book that obviously his wife was concerned because obviously you don't always hear the siren when bombs are dropping. But in terms of service, he worked, you know, he worked, physically worked within his sort of policing mindset till he was 72. Incredible. Yeah. And Harry, is you uniform back on. You know what? It's Say again? More incredible. I was going to say, Harry, put your uniform back on for another 20 years, mate. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I just, I think even if I could cope with the police, I'm not sure the police could cope with me. <laughs> I, 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 
But it is. I, I was looking at that. I kept checking the dates and thinking, well, no, he'd be too old. He can't be. Surely he can't be working. Especially in those days, the life expectancy yeah. wasn't quite so long. But he... Well, the rules he, were different. Rules were different. He, you know? he was it's early different. 90s, wasn't he? Yeah. When he I died, mean, I think. Uh, there we go. The uh, Oh, yes, that's right. That's pretty good for then, wasn't it? 67 yeah. to 51. You know, do you Some do the when, when we uncovered these diaries, the thing that really kind of oh, can't quite blew see me it. away the fact that when I started doing some research, I found out that when I was a, a child, when I was like four years old, I lived in the house that he lived in. Oh, my God, my, yeah, did you? My aunt, who was obviously his daughter. Mr. Alta. You know, I was a little kid, and it was just... Um, the boss. Oh, oh, right. Yeah, well, sorry. Everyone stand up. We've got... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> John Abter <laughs> is... Uh... <laughs> sorry. Oh, very, very humble today. John Abter. Very humble. Yeah, so I... Sorry. John, for those that, those that don't know who that is, that's John Abter. He's the, uh, the, the chair of the entire... Uh, Police Federation for England and Wales. So he's and he, like, and he happens to be as human as a person, just to embarrass him, so he doesn't come again. As, yeah. as really, he's a such a gentleman and lovely, lovely guy. As much as JG and almost Dave is as well. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm I'm a huge admirer of John because he does yeah. such work. Anyway, he's blushing. So go on, he's go on, John. You were living in the house. You lived in the same house. Yeah, so I, I kind of, you know, for, I had a couple of years where I lived in the house where William was. He lived out his days, which was quite remarkable. Um, amazing. But moving on from that, what what was even more amazing off the back of this book when when we launched, I had it in my heart that I wanted to find out where he was laid to rest. So, um, uh, my daughter, bless her, wrote to the, um, uh, the vicar who runs the uh, church where he, we knew he was laid to rest. And he very kindly gave me a layout of the, the, the plots of the grave and it, it, exactly where William was laid to rest. Yeah. Um, and sadly, there's no headstone. Oh, so, right, it's, right. My, it's my mission, and I will do this, eventually, my plan is to use any money that I make off the back of this book to go and put him a nice headstone to remember him by. Because yeah. I think he gave so much. And um, I think, you know, that would be a really lovely thing to do. That's lovely. That is a um, lovely thing to do, mate. You know, it's not for me. You know, the whole, the, you know, just the book. Can thing, I? Sorry. Because at the moment, because some people work on, look on Amazon and things, it says it's out of sale, whatever. Get it from your, can you tell them where to get it from, John? Yeah, um, you can go to um, the website, which is our own website at the moment. It will be on other sources, but at the moment, for our own purposes, we're, we're marking it from our own resource. Go to www.greenfield-productionslimited.com. If you go there, that is a complete background of all what we're trying to achieve, what the, the long-term game plan is. You've got, you can buy the book there. But also, what is really good now, because we're quite clever with the internet, um, mm. I've actually set up a domain name for Sergeant William Foyle. So if you put sergeantwilliamfoyle.com yeah. into the search engine, 
it'll take you to his website and you can buy and a book. Little did he know. I think he'd be quite proud of you, JG. I think he'd be oh, quite proud of you. It, it, it's been, for me, it's been a, a fantastic journey. And, and, and What's the one biggest takeaway? What's the one biggest thing you take away from reading his diaries and, and working on the book, John? What's the one big thing you take away from it? The thing I take away from this is that I share his blue blood. Honestly, I, my daughter, mm. bless her, I, I sent it to you, Harry, the letter. Oh, I, I was going to say, um, and I even said to her, I wish my daughter would send me something like that. Yeah, How much are you daughter, able to share of that, mate? It was, a, it was an incredible letter that my daughter wrote when, when, cause when the book was finally done. We had to this, this was presented to me, which is the folder with the final draft of the book before it went to publishing. And my daughter very kindly wrote a, a beautiful sort of letter in there about, you know, her, you know, being involved with me and everything like that, and about my sort of passion for helping people. And then she she highlighted the fact that I had no idea why my mindset and why I was the way I was, you know, why my passion for people. Mm. But now, you know, to, to answer your question, Dave, is, is the fact that, I know that, that, you know, I've got blue blood running through my veins. <laughs> Makes sense. You know? Yeah. But, yeah. You know, what, what was really good, I was leading up to this, and, and I decided that it would be really good if I could go and follow in his footsteps because there's so many wonderful little stories and things, you know, in the diaries. And I decided, and I went on a three-day journey to the island. I went over the island. And I followed in his footsteps. So I went to Newport, I went to Cowes, I went to all the places that William went. Is the police house still there? Sorry? Is the police house still there? The old police house, uh, and actually I did put a couple of pictures out on, on social media. All that's left is the remaining is the back wall of the old police station. Um, but the, the most moving thing for me is I actually went to, in there you'll see that in the book it tells you about um, when... Uh, William was at the Marconi first radio transmission from Knighton over to the mainland for, with Marconi and he was there he was the only officer on duty and when I went to the island it was my focus to go down to where it was and I actually went and stood where he stood and I've got a picture of me stood where he stood in 1901 yeah lovely it, absolutely yeah. most incredible emotional journey and when I was over there I, it's, it's just uncanny how things happen i went down to to knighton um and there's this old farm down there now and they've got this you know there's a lot of stuff there and the buildings are still there it's all, all you know remembering that 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 day and when i was there um a, a, two police officers came down in a car because you had to walk down there you're not allowed to drive down there you can walk down there but a police car can go down there and two police officers came down and i'm stood there and they've got a camera there with like filming and, and, you know, I'm sort of doing a commentary on a microphone for, for future stuff. And um, they stopped and said, you know, could you mind telling me what you're doing? And I explained to them how I was. Um, and we got chatting um, and they were um, Hampshire Constabulary Police Officers. Um, and by coincidence, and I know he's watching this at the moment, they, they knew John Apter quite well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that was his original yeah, force. Was, when I spoke to John on the phone, I said to him, they were very complimentary. <laughs> Which is lovely, you know. So, do you know when John Amter was um, before he was the chair? I knew him on Twitter with that as a Hampshire Federation rep, 
And the private messages you get, they people tell the truth. And he said, do you know what? He hasn't changed a bit since when he was here. The extra effort he put in. And this, I'm going to quote your great grandfather here. And this hasn't changed. It's the same as John. It's very much the same in why people get into policing. Um, he said, uh, so Ellen uh, said, I, again, I quote my father, if you help your fellow man and you do what is right, your actions will bring rewards much greater than money. I often wondered what he meant at the time, but now I know. If you do good things for others, you feel good. It's a lesson for all. And mm. basically, there's nothing I've found better than having somebody who really deserved help got help and was so relieved they had help. Absolutely. And you can forget all the other stuff around it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. And uh, there's quite a few quotes I quote from your great-grandfather. What would he, you know, how on earth would he have known all this? And it's down to you and your daughter and, and the generations between. That, 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 that's why it's there now, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, to remind us all. It's just... You know the things we uncovered, and you know we're we're a long way from from bringing it all to the public domain. You know, there's lots of other things. I mean, I can tell you now, and I don't think anybody's aware of this, but I'm about you know two thirds into the set the next book. Um, and the beauty of the next book is, yes, it's based on other references from the diaries, but the angle, and I'm, this is not nobody knows this until now, so this is this is breaking news. The angle is that this is William looking down from the beat in the sky, using his knowledge and his thinking and comparing what he sees to what he knew in the days gone by. So effectively, he'll, he'll, you know, the book will, will refer to his diaries, to things that he did and see, and then he'll look at it and say, well, you know, I don't think that case was right, this was not right, the sentence wasn't right. And it's a yeah. comparison between days of old and now. And it, it's going to be a bit of a journey to put it all in to make it something yeah. that's readable. But the beauty of it is, can you imagine, you know, if, if for argument's sake, well, the magic, we could bring him back and let him yeah. tell Durban police yeah. officers now what it was like in his day and how the judges were tough. You know, yeah. they were knowing that if somebody punched them, that person was going to jail and they'd get hard labour. You know, yeah, um, yeah. It, for me, it, it just you know the whole thing is just giving me, I don't know, it's giving That's me a lot true. of joy because so, it's not for me. It's not about trying to make money off the back of this. This is a tool that can give me what my message I'm trying to get across to everybody. Yeah, yeah. I care. You know, I I, I make no bones about it. Everybody knows. I speak to very senior officers. You know, from the top downwards. I care passionately about our police service. I care about every serving police officer, you know, and that will never change. That's me. That's my mentality. And when I had the opportunity to do this book, to show how it was, you know, in those days and mm. use references, when I make comments on social media, when I do a blog or something like that, I know from the humble bit of experience I've had to the, to the reference of the book, how it should be and mm. why, when I see somebody that punches a, a police officer in the face and gets a twenty-five pound fine and a community service, yeah, it's wrong. Yeah. You know, it is wrong. Um, and and yes, you know, people do criticise me. You know, unfortunately, there are people out there that oh, you're too opinionated. And but at the end of the day, if you if you're honest with people and you mm. tell the truth and you you tell it like it is, which I do, then it gets your message across. And this book 
it's been the most incredible tool um, to enable me to, to, to keep flying the positive flag for our police officers. And that, yeah. that to me, is what it's about. JG, we're running out of time, but there's a couple of things that would be important that we make sure we pass on to you. So John Apters said uh, the National Police Historical Society will be fascinated with this. So if you're not talking to them, then I'm sure he can help you. And UK Pop Humour, good evening. Uh, Great to have you here. Uh, They've they've given a suggestion as well uh, to see if you can find some some more information. So um, hopefully there might be a little bit of help out there to, to just... Um, John, can you read that message? Can you read that message there, mate? Yeah, and there's that one too, which made me oh, smile. Oh, yeah, that's my daughter. Bless her. I love you, yeah. baby. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, that's the one. And that's the Hans have spoken to the National Police History Society. Great. They would right. be fascinated. Um, uh, talk to you. Yeah, yeah. Good. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Our hour is up, John. Yeah. So um, it has. I could go on to, into oh. the evening. It's been incredible. Yeah. I know. I think we. I think we hit some really good spots and things like that. Um, yeah. So there's the book. Um, if you don't remember, but basically the name, put the name in the search engine and anything with uh, John Green. Yeah. Green. I mean, just put if you just put you know. So you want to be a peeler, a boy into any search engine, it'll bring it up. Put yeah. Sergeant William Foyle in, it'll come up. Yep. Happy days. Good. That's lovely. Next week we have Benjamin I Pearson. Been yet? So oh yeah. Go on. Go on. Do that. You talk about next week's while I give people... Well, okay, a- yeah, that's right. So I've got Benjamin Pearson. Now, he was a police interceptor and uh, he retired early because of PTSD. And we've got him coming on um, for next week. Really looking forward to seeing, uh, speaking to him. So recommend you get the book on that. That's another great book. Um, there's uh, another... Um, Oh, see, I've never read so much, but we've got these two that keep getting in the way. No, um, yeah. So that, look at those. <laughs> really good Christmas presents. <laughs> well, now you've put that. I've got to put that one on now uh, more. That's that's better. <laughs> that's better. Um, and if you want a... And basically, I'm, I'm, I basically do a YouTube for, and I get a lot of uh, followers who are just people who wanting to join the police, a little bit worried about joining the police, and and police officers who are looking at joining Traffic ARV. Um, at the moment, um, Monday at 7.30, if you go on my personal YouTube channel, I can be a little bit more controversial on there. That is uh, sort of from the heart side of um, dealing with road death, dealing with natural death, children, whatever. And it's my perspective on it. You might want to join me on that one. But I oh. think... That is it, Dave. Anything else from you? No, any dog training questions, give us, send us a message and we'll help you through them. We've helped so many people this week. It'd be Ooh. fantastic if you have any dog training questions, give us a shout. And we will see you next week. Have a wonderful week. JG, thank you very much for joining right. us. Thank you, JG. Yeah.